Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guests, Craig Hurlbert, CEO of Local Bounty, and Ed Forrest, Chairman of Leo Holdings. Local Bounty is a leader in controlled environment agriculture and is transforming the production and delivery of local, fresh, and sustainably grown leafy greens produce across the U.S. The company recently announced a merger with SPAC Leo Holdings Three at a $760 million enterprise value. On the podcast, Craig and Ed discuss the thesis behind the founding of Local Bounty, why controlled environment agriculture is the future of farming, a look at the company's competitors, customers, and unit economics, what Leo Holdings found appealing about Local Bounty as a merger partner, and more. Point of disclosure, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF does hold a position in Leo Holdings 3. So with no further ado, here's our show with Local Bounty CEO Craig Hurlbert and Leo Holdings Chairman Ed Forrest. So we have a tasty show for everyone today. We have Craig from Local Bounty going to be talking about ag tech, controlled environment, agriculture, and some of the tasty products that they're putting into the market. We also have Ed from Leo Holdings, who is utilizing his SPAC to help bring local bounty to the public markets, which we'll get into today. But prior to getting into that, I wanted to touch on some of the background behind local bounty, like how you founded the company, the thesis behind it, and how it's evolved over the past few years. We've seen a real explosion in interest with respect to sustainable farming, ESG, and various themes such as that. I was wondering, uh, how did the idea come about and how did you build the company to this point? Well, first of all, Julian and Mike, it's, it's so great to be with you today. We appreciate your time. Uh, both Ed and I are excited to be here and share the local bounty story. But ironically, I spent my summers on a family farm not far from Calgary, where I know you guys are located, in the northeastern corner of Montana, a dryland wheat farm. So farming's in my roots and uh, it's kind of always been there. But uh, our family farm is still in our family by the way. And, uh, and, and so farming's been in my roots, but I didn't become a farmer. Uh, my career kind of, uh, kind of moved me all around, but I ended up in the investment banking world. And then I ended up in the energy space. I had a big job at General Electric during the 1990s, kind of the Jack Welch glory days. Um, I had an opportunity to learn how to run businesses from the best of the best at that point in time, General Electric and uh, had an opportunity to build a, a sales group inside of a fast growth uh, company inside of Power Systems. Uh, and that was just tremendous experience. Uh, my next logical step was to become a CEO, which I did in 1999. And uh, I ran two different businesses, both in the energy space, both kind of in the clean tech world. And one of these companies we built from the ground up, it had an exit late last year and uh, into what you know could be considered a global provider of modular energy solutions, the power HVAC and data center space. So most of my career has been in the energy space. So you may wonder how in the world did an energy, energy executive end up 
playing a role in disrupting the controlled environment agriculture business. And I would challenge the listeners to think about the, the acronym CEA, Controlled Environment Agriculture. Two thirds of the acronym have nothing to do with agriculture. It has to do with controlling the environment. Right. And it just so happens, you know, the energy business and specifically the HVAC space is very good at that. And the company I was the CEO of that we founded and built up had over 2.5 million tons of air conditioning HVAC solutions put in the dirt all over the world, 33 different countries, in fact. We did all the air conditioning for Palm Island in Dubai, uh, and we helped large data center producers deliver uh, HVAC solutions to them. So we have a ton of IQ around controlling the environment. And so when Travis Joyner, my co-founder and myself, we had been investing in businesses for like the last 10 years, we looked for really high growth areas and CEA really jumped out at us as something where you know, billions of dollars were going to be uh, invested. And the reasons for that are many and varied and we can get into those. But the bottom line is traditional agriculture is challenged, especially in the produce area. And so CEA is uniquely qualified to come in, provide a sustainable solution there and really provide the world better products at, at the same pricing. And so Travis and I started digging in on CEA and we did what we do. We were looking to invest in a CEA business four years ago. And the long and short of it, Julian and Mike, we could not find a business that we felt embodied all of the characteristics necessary to succeed over the long term in what CEA was going to be. Capital intensive, very, what I would call a commodity-based global business model. And by the way, that's kind of what clean tech was to start with. So we learned a lot of lessons over there. And so we couldn't find a business that we felt was investable at that point in time. So we looked at each other and we said, hey, there's an opportunity here. Let's start a business. And that was the origin of Local Bounty. And what we really were able to do is start from the customer backwards, both the retailer and the end consumer, and work backwards to back solve for so many different things that were missing, at least in our opinion. And that was the origin of Local Bounty. Because we were able to do that, we kind of had a clean sheet. We were able to accomplish a whole lot in a very short period of time, very, very capital efficiently. So you speak of this notion of controlled environment agriculture, CEA, and thank you for pointing out the missing link. Craig, I was going through your LinkedIn profile, <laughs> thought it was an interesting jump, but that definitely solves that. I was wondering, with respect to controlled environment agriculture, in your presentation, you call this the future of farming. What makes it so great? Well, first of all, there, there's obvious things that make it great. Uh, and, and if you just go to the problem that's in front of us today, the world is going to need roughly 70% more food in about 30 years, 40 years, whatever whatever you want to uh, believe in. We got a pending agricultural crisis coming. And we also have things like droughts in California and other places. We also, COVID has exposed many supply chain challenges as well as it relates to food supply and having a robust food supply system in place. So why CEA and why now? I think we're talking about CEA broadly, okay? Not about local bounty specifically. CEA broadly, 90% less water, 90% less land. You've got no herbicides and pesticides. You've got year-round production. So on our family farm, 
We planted in the spring. We harvested in the fall. We got one shot at it. We yeah. had hail or bad weather or whatever. At local bounty or at the other CEA players, it's a controlled environment. So you're year-round farming. Uh, also improved worker welfare. There's just so many benefits to CEA, and the technology is at a point now where it can compete against traditional agriculture in many ways. And so you've got that combined with maybe the largest business initiative of my lifetime, sustainability. There's real teeth coming in the sustainability movement. It's no longer philanthropy or lip service. It's real. And if you think about it, they're even talking about on Wall Street attaching publicly traded CEOs compensation to sustainability metrics. Yeah. And when that happens, it's even going to start moving faster. So CEA is at the perfect time in in the world with the perfect problem to address to really put a dent in it. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Certainly a very compelling value proposition. Before we go a little bit further into the business model, Ed, can you provide us with a little bit of your background and the SPAC sponsor platform that you've built, uh, Leo Holdings? Yeah, Mike, hey, thanks very much. And Craig, that's a great intro. And one thing I want to start with and we can end with as well, we sought out Local Bounty, but they chose us. And we're super humbled by this partnership. Okay, really excited about it. So I'm Ed. And um, let me talk a little bit about how we got to the Leo Holdings franchise. And then I'll weave a little bit of my background into it. But a couple of my partners, Lyndon Lee and Robert Darwin, came out of the private equity business and formed Lion Capital 16 or 17 years ago. And again, what I really respected about them over the four private equity funds they raised is staying true to who they are and what they are, which is all about the consumer. Didn't stray. And you you saw and you get boy, you guys track all kinds of asset classes and all kinds of verticals within PE firms. No straying into things that weren't their core discipline. So it's always been about the consumer. And it's also been about the brand wrapper around the consumer. It's been that case. 40% of the investments of the Lion franchise have been in the food and beverage space. So it's something which has had a keen interest by every principal within the organization. And as we looked at, you know, one of the the detriments, if you will, to the private equity business, and you guys know this is you're on the clock. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, the plurality of returns are determined by the vintage of the organization. I don't care what anybody said, really, really determines so much. We said, boy, if there's an ability to deploy capital and you have an entry point, which is when you choose to enter with whom you choose to enter, but the exit is subject to your discretion, that would be an improved model. And the SPAC business is something caught the really caught the fancy of Lyndon and Robert three years ago when they set up Leo One and pursued a company called Digital Media Solutions, took that company through the D SPAC, and that company is now is now public on the NYSE. But again, that's a digitally enhanced consumer information business. So again, sticking true to core. We also, as we looked beyond to say, let's create this as our new business model. So let's do permanent capital vehicles 
in the SPAC form and let's move forward. How do we enhance the, the team that we have? And so we brought in some people that we had partnered with before. Some of them are, are, are folks that you probably know. So Imran Khan, who was head of global internet banking at CS, went on to Snap and with Evan brought that company public. Now he has a business called Verishop. Scott McNeely, co-founder of Sun Microsystems. Mark Macinter, who came up with the real estate footprint for every single Apple store, Away Luggage, Warby Parker, and Restoration Hardware. Mary Minnick, who was the global president of marketing at Coca-Cola. So we brought that team together, and they're our board and our advisors for the SPAC franchise as we bring it together. And they've been incredibly helpful at sourcing opportunities, but being that critical sounding board for what are gonna be the ones that where we should really put our muscle and our shoulder behind them and helping us to, to pursue them and execute those. So that's really what we tried to bring together. I, I tell you, when I look at the local bounty business and I think about farming, I haven't seen an employee that doesn't wear a white coat. I mean, this is not the farming you know, of Craig's family, by the way. This is <laughs> science and deliberateness in a very different occupation set. You know, no bugs, masks, hairnets. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, which by the way, I love your roots though, Craig, about that. <laughs> But what you've done is you've really taken it a whole nother level to the PhD level, right? Which, by the way, your partner Travis is a PhD. And so that's and that's that really got us excited. And, you know, we look at this and we look at the global problem that we have, but we also look at opportunity set and how do we solve? You know, if something's easy, generally it's not that important and it's not where you should spend your time. This is hard. And Craig and Travis and their team are really brilliantly positioned to go ahead and to solve this. And so we got a population issue, we got a resource issue, but we've got a business that is replicatable the way these guys are doing it. And in that way, it's boundaryless. So starting and Craig will go through the SKU limitations that they focused on. He'll talk about the TAM of the Western region, where they decided to focus in a very uncompetitive way. And, you know, I think you guys you guys have a great uh, podcast and, and Twitter following. Come up with a word that's not moat. I'm getting tired of hearing about moat. <laughs> There's got to be something else, though. And, yeah. and whatever it is, let's attach it to local bounty right now, because really what these guys are doing is is tremendous, and uh, and I'm, I'm just really privileged to be a part of it. I was right about to get into that, but call it competitive advantage. So... You guys spoke of the macro thesis behind the tremendous amount of innovation we're seeing in agriculture, which is a business that's literally been around for 10,000 years, but we're certainly seeing a massive ramp up in innovation and all these new business models. So that certainly makes sense in addition to all the ESG and sustainability uh, metrics around it, then the notion of conserving water, conserving land, which they're not making more of, year-end production. I wanted to get into the micro from the macro, specifically local bounties, business model, and then without using the word moat, I want to touch on <laughs> local bounties, competitive advantages. Specifically, you mentioned proprietary, modular, and scalable building systems. So how do these all work together? Yeah, great question. And, you know, I think I think I'm going to start with our philosophy really from the beginning, and it was surround ourselves with quality people and really dig in on unit economics. The biggest thing we felt was missing when we were looking for a company to invest in was really that maniacal focus on unit economics and really a lack of curiosity around it. And uh, it was disappointing to us that we didn't see more interest in that. And so we started really digging in on that. but. The point I want to make is the quality that's around local bounty. So it starts with the people that are inside the four walls. 
But then as you go to pick a SPAC partner, for example, you're looking for quality there, right? So Leo emerges, and here's what we get with Leo. We get a consumer brand expert that has a lot of experience, and, he, and Ed just went through the their kind of board of advisors, a ton of horsepower there. And I'll tell you the more important thing, we all just get along really well. I mean, it, it's a seamless, drama-free environment that when tough issues come up, we hit them head on, quality SPAC partner. As you probably know from our press release, we have the Cargill group inside the tent at Local yeah, Bounty. Right. Quality, strategic investor involved. And why is that important? I mean, there's just a million ways why that's gonna be important. We don't even understand them all right now at Local Bounty. But the ones we do understand, we're really excited about. And so we've been looking for putting quality in all four corners of the business from the beginning. One of the areas that I think, Julian, you're really focused on is the technology and why is our technology different? Right. And I think I'll start by just giving a, a, a CEA kind of, uh, let's just say a, an overview of what's out there. So there's vertical farming and there's horizontal or greenhouse farming. Those are the two big routes that are out there today. And so when we were four years ago looking at making an investment, we studied both. So we started with vertical farming. Very exciting because it's high yield, okay? So we got excited about it, we dug in, and here's what we learned. It's high yield, but it's also high capital, hmm. CapEx, yeah. and high OpEx. And so while it's high yield, high CapEx, high OpEx, and if you think about it, it's a big room, so you've gotta control that environment to one, one type of an environment so you're gonna grow one or two things optimally and everything else you're gonna to try to grow suboptimally. So vertical had limitations. And so we started looking at the horizontal or greenhouse farming. Travis spent a lot of time in the Netherlands, went and looked to the belly of where all of the technology has come out of in the Netherlands, which basically feeds Europe. And here's what we learned with greenhouse. It has lower yield, lower CapEx and lower OpEx. So not that exciting on its own either. What we were back solving for, based on our experience from the energy world, was we want high yield and low cost. We couldn't find that. So we started iterating on how do we take the best of the vertical and the best of the horizontal to get to high yield and low cost. And what also emerged out of there was, because of the way we're doing it, we can, within one farm, have multiple climate zone so we can grow multiple different SKUs profitably and effectively. And so that's a huge differentiator as well. We already have seven SKUs that we can grow that we're going to market with right now. And it's our desire to expand those SKUs into the 20 to 30 and beyond range, okay? So that gives us a lot of vulnerability. And why do, why do, why do we care about SKU diversity? When we were talking to the retailers and the end consumer, they're like, I'm trying to simplify my supply chain. I'd like to be able to buy more things from one person where most vertical farmers can only grow one or two things really, really well. They get really good at that and they take advantage of the high yield and high cost. And we were looking for something different than that. And then we brought in on top of the technology where we have a pioneer patent pending on taking the best of 
vertical and the best of horizontal, what we call stack and flow, which is a trademark. And that's taking the best of both worlds. We have a pioneer patent on that and 11 other patents that are wrapped around that pioneer patent. So I'll stop there, Julian and Mike. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. No, and something that you mentioned was one of your strategic partners being Cargill. Can you discuss a little bit about their relationship that you have with them, um, with Wilco Bounty and and then the industry giant being Cargill? (laughs) Yes, it's a great question. And I think I go back to my GE roots. What I learned at GE was big companies have a hard time innovating, but they're really good at partnering if they have the right mindset and providing things that they can bring and you know, uh, and and those two, the innovators and the big guys working together, it can really create some music. So, I was aware of that from the get-go, as was Travis. And so we were kind of looking for that. Okay, when we ran into Cargill, here's what we found: so many companies like that are really are really striving to do the right thing on the sustainability side of things. Right. And Cargill, I believe, is legitimately uh, focused and committed to doing better from a sustainability perspective. And so that probably pulled us together. But what happened was really neat because we started working with them in mid-December. We started talking about the debt facility that we uh, have in place with them, the term sheet we have in place with them. And that was how we kind of entered into that relationship. But as they got to know more about us doing their due diligence and seeing what, what, who we were, how we were doing it, the market that we were attacking, they got more and more interested. We certainly didn't start the relationship with them talking about an investment in our pipe. And yet that's where we ended up four and a half months later. And I think what's even more exciting to Travis and I is, yes, the relationship as they got more and more in, more and more due diligence, learned more and more. Our relationship got deeper and more aligned. But I think what's even better is the relationships that we built from their organization into our organization is just been completely seamless. And I think is is going to be the roots of a very, very strong relationship moving forward. Let's go back to your, your family farm. You mentioned that you had a family wheat farm and I, you also mentioned that the, one of the goals is to expand the number of SKUs. It, do you see this in the future, maybe the distant future, it, expanding this this style, the CAE, CEA system, uh, expanding into larger scale crops, so such as wheat crops, pulse crops, canola? Is, is there potential for that with the technology? So I will say the answer to that is it's possible. It's not something local bounty will be focused on, 
uh, we have a very, very clear focus on execution around our business plan. And so while I'm personally very excited about everything that could come in the future, I can tell you right now, in the produce area, it's time. And here's why, Mike, it's a great question you asked. When we would harvest our wheat in the fall, if the price wasn't right, we'd put it in a granary and we'd store it all winter and we'd maybe sell it two years later, a year and a half later, right? There's a storage component to the grains, for example. You can't do that with a head of lettuce, right? You gotta harvest that head of lettuce and that thing's gotta get to market quickly. And if you're eating a salad somewhere in the north, let's just say North Dakota or Wyoming or Colorado, or the food miles attached to that head of lettuce are 100 miles or more. And when you start adding in the carbon footprint around that, it doesn't make sense. So because produce is doesn't have that storability factor, it makes it right for the technology today. But I will tell you, the breakthroughs we're seeing are so exciting that I wouldn't put that as, I wouldn't say never to that. I would say we won't be focused on it, but we'll be rooting for the people that are. So one of the key aspects is, and it's even in the name local, uh, with respect to local bounty, and um, that totally makes sense with respect to the focus on uh, the freshness of leafy greens and, and other uh, comparable crops such as that. I did want to get into the, some of the details on the recently announced going public transaction, the business combination with Leo Holdings, a three a nearly $800 million enterprise value. So you've been building this company for a while, made significant progress and looking to continue to grow it. What was the main reason for going public at this stage? You mentioned, you know, now's the time. What was kind of the key aspects behind this deal that really made you go for it? I think it's multi-pronged, Julian. Uh, first of all, being able to add the talent of the Leo team to the local bounty team super valuable and will provide dividends uh, deep into the future. Uh, so that would be number one. I would say number two, there is to some degree uh, an arms race or a land grab, however you want to look at it right. uh, in this space. And uh, we felt it was very important. Uh, you just mentioned the concept of being local. That's something that we heard over and over again when we were doing our due diligence. Customers love local. You guys are based in Calgary. I'm based in Houston. Ed's in New York. And no matter where you are, you're local. And that's just the reality. I've lived in Dubai and, and Latin America. And wherever you are, you're in a local community. So we heard that over and over again. And it was so important to us, we built it right into the name of the company. Okay, so we're, we're local by design. But the answer to your question around why now, there's a certain amount of transparency transparency that comes when you're a publicly traded company, we're going to embrace that and really help drive the dialogue through the CEA space on how we're measuring ourselves against ourselves and against others. But candidly, it was what we felt was a way to get to a capitalization level that made sense and allowed us to really deliver on our pro forma from a position of strength. It's helped us in so many ways already uh, being able to attract talent. And I'll just mention really quick, uh, the level of talent we continue to add at the local bounty business is at this stage in my life, one of the most exciting things I've ever been a part of. Because we're hearing people say, we just hired someone that works for a very, very well-known company 
He's leaving that company to be part of Local Bounty because he's so excited about our movement and what we're doing and the whole space. And so we're finding that human nature wants to be part of a great story and Local Bounty is all of that. And I think going public only gives us more ability to be able to attract the right people so that we can ensure our ability to deliver on our pro forma. Could I add just a little bit there? And and if I could jump in and just ask Craig a question here, which is the brand matters so much, right? And in tomatoes, a tomato is a tomato, and we're seeing it, you know, on the shelf at the grocery store. But a local bounty butter lettuce package, local bounty specific product, and taking that and really turbocharging that with the public offering helps to take this really important brand and I think profile it in, in, in a geometric way. Don't you think, Craig? Yeah, I mean, brand is so important because people connect to the brand. I mean, I know I do that. I'm a, I have my own certain things I buy because I connect to the brand for what I'm sure you guys are the same way. And that's what we're gonna, that's what we're gonna do with Local Bounty. If you think about the produce section today, it's largely unbranded and there isn't that, that connection to the consumer. And so we're going to really make that a big effort. And I will let you know too, the third voice in the room at Local Bounty is now our chief marketing officer. His name is Josh White. And Josh met an individual walking around New York City in the early 2000s. His name was Hamdi. And he had this bag of something called Greek yogurt. Nobody knew what it was at the time, but it tasted better, had better texture, et cetera, et cetera. A lot like our produce, by the way. Uh, if you haven't had ingrown grown produce, uh, the, the taste and the flavor will really uh, stick out to you. And he met Hamdi, and together the team branded Chobani, and Josh took it uh, with that team to north of a billion dollars. Josh was the first voice beyond Travis and Craig in our business, helped us brand at Local Bounty. He shut down his whole creative agency, and they are now inside of Local Bounty. And Josh is super excited about being able to brand a section of the grocery store that's largely unbranded today. And looking at some of the products, you've certainly done a great job in terms of branding and marketing. They really stand out, and I like how you've labeled them. Another aspect of the deal that I wanted to get some insights on is, Ed, from your perspective as a SPAC sponsor, We've heard, you know, you really like the brand, the team, the sort of macro thesis opportunity. Were there any other characteristics that stood out to you from Local Bounty's perspective that made the company a really appealing business combination partner? Yeah, I'd, I'd say as well, Julian, and you you guys talk about maniacal focus on cost. You guys are maniacal and focused on SPACs, and I, and I really admire that, you know, your discipline around it, and that is not every company's team is ready to be a public company, right? right? And we're seeing you know, the market being much more discriminating in that way. Are they ready for prime time? Is it appropriate for them to be there? And that's a really important part of our due diligence. And no doubt about it, these guys are. And you know, I come from a, a steeped investment banking background and ran underwriting committees. And these guys are absolutely ready for that. And so they're way ahead of where the company is sized today. And we love that. Okay, so they're not going to be playing catch up. The company is going to be catching up to these guys and marching forward in that way. That's number one. Number two, they have asymmetries all through the business to the upside. And we're looking for those, right? As investors and also as business partners, do we feel much more upside than, than we feel that there's risk on the downside to these guys? And they've, they've proven that to us. We think they've got some 
competitive unfair advantages over some others. And we're looking for those things for the long-term winner in terms of, in terms of that discipline. So we're, we're thrilled about that. And we think this is a really important space, you know, Julian. And this is, you know, Craig and I have talked about the history of sustainability over time as it's gone from being almost a philanthropic, philanthropic pursuit to something which is now the way to run your business. And these guys are there. They've jumped there. We're talking about the economics. I'll talk about the working capital management as well. I mean, Travis will say, he'll walk through the facility, lettuce, your days are numbered. And it's all about improving the turns. And right. the raw material piece is small here. There's no finished goods because the stuff's out the door. It's all about the work and process and grind that down and don't be satisfied to where you've gotten it. And every conversation with these guys about what's next, how do we take a day off? How do we take four hours off of what we're doing? And we love we love seeing that, you know. So they're they're not in the storage business to what Craig's talking about. They're in the moving business, okay? And they want to really move it through that way. And so we think the brand around it, the team, the big opportunity set, the problem we're solving, um, we're we're very enamored of that and and glued to it. And we and we think it's a you know to Craig's point, we couldn't be happier with the teamsmanship um, in in this relationship. You did mention the aspect of competition in the market. Certainly it's not a, you know, one takes the entire market. There's room for competition. And we have had some of your competitors uh, in terms of innovative ag tech firms on the podcast. So I'd like to hear uh, your thoughts on how you guys differentiate yourselves from the competition. Say an investor is taking a look at the local bounty story and they're aware of these other ag tech companies, whether they're vertical farming businesses and things of that nature. You did mention the a lower capex, a lower opex of your model, and there's other more qualitative measures such as brand, team, taste of the products. Uh, are there any other aspects that really stick out that help differentiate local bounty uh, in the public markets? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll go back to us wanting to make an investment at the very beginning. And I think one of the things you get with the local bounty team is we're really coming at this whole industry from a different perspective. And, uh, and that is really all around uh, chasing unit economics. And the unit economics, what that really allows us to do is to have diversity in the product offering that we can make and have the flexibility to really ensure that financially we're able to deliver on our pro forma. I think the industry has had a reputation very much like the clean tech 1.0 movement where there were a lot of dollars invested and not a lot came out. Right. And I think that has this industry has been plagued with that in the past. I think what we're bringing to this space is a little more discipline around, hey, how can we do this a little bit better? And how can we actually make sure that we're able to deliver on what we say we're going to do? And I think you're right, Julian, there will be multiple winners in this space because the TAM in the US alone is $30 billion. The TAM in the area where we're focused, as Ed maybe mentioned a minute ago, the 17 states in the Western United States is about 10 to $11 billion. We're largely gonna be the first mover there. So that's one of the ways we're differentiated. One of the investors said, you guys can run for 20 years and never touch app harvest. And he, he's right, you know, we the, the market's just so big. Right. We're rooting for the other competitors. We hope that they, are successful and do well, we're just coming at it from a different perspective. 
Right, and that's a really important note to drive home for investors is the notion of unit economics because there's no point in growing if you're never going to become profitable. So I'm sure they'll appreciate the discipline behind that and to the extent that investors are interested in learning more. Uh, Leo Holdings currently trading under the symbol LIII, and once the merger closes, the symbol will be LOCL, Local Bounty. So thank you, Craig. Ed, coming on the show today, uh, it was a great explanation of many of the factors and key drivers behind the business. Really appreciated some of the interesting insights into the founding of it and where you see things playing out. What Really what appealed to you about this entire opportunity. So thank you very much and we wish you all the best going forward. Thank Julian, really, Mike, thank you guys very, very much. We really enjoyed yeah. it. Be well. All right, cheers. Bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.